In the second half of 1 Samuel 25, we have Abigail's pacification of David, Nabal's death, and David's marriage to Abigail. Hear now the word of Almighty God, inspired by his spirit, profitable for us. 1 Samuel 25, verses 23 to the end. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and, hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial even Naboth, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. Now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee, and to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out, as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel that this shall be no grief unto thee nor offense of heart unto my Lord either that thou hast shed blood causeless or that my Lord hath avenged himself but when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood, and from avenging myself, with mine own hand, for in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hadst hasted and come to meet me. Surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him, and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. And Abigail came to Nabal. 
And behold, he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore she told him nothing less or more until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning, when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord smote Nabal that he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to wife to him. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted and arose and rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they were also both of them his wives. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Falti, the son of Laish, which was of Galim. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25, the last verses. Verses 23 through 31, we have Abigail's address to David, seeking to pacify. Pox means peace. Pacify is where you turn someone from raging into a peaceful person. (coughs) Verse 23 informs us that when Abigail saw David, she hasted. Again, she realized the urgency of the situation. She had to appease the anger of David quickly, or it would not be done. She fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. Now, you'll remember that I said that there is no religious worship that can be offered to any creature. But in the ancient world and in the modern world, there is also what we call civil worship, where out of decency and respect for authorities, we do certain things to them or toward their persons, especially those who are great, who are rich, who are powerful, who are kings or monarchs, There is a decency. In fact, the Bible commends to us to rise before the gray-headed so that we show a decency and civil respect to them. So this is not religious worship, in other words, but rather this is civil respect. This is appropriate. And this is humility on the part of this woman. Now notice what she says in verse 24. This is quite marvelous when you consider it. She fell at his feet and said this, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Now, was it her sin? She actually explains why she didn't even hear what the messenger said. But what is she asking? What is this woman doing? Well, 
she's willing to take the blame and the fall for her husband. That's quite amazing. Now, ordinarily, men are to take responsibility for themselves, but she recognizes in this case of extremity, will Nabal take responsibility for himself? Will he confess and acknowledge his sin? Will he humble himself before David and beg for forgiveness? No. And consequently, if Nabal doesn't do that, what is the consequence of that failure on Nabal's part? Death, destruction, all the males destroyed. And so in order to recognize that when a man incurs debts, can his wife say, well, that's your fault? No, they're marital debts. This man has incurred a marital debt to the doom of his entire household, and she doesn't nag Nabal and say, you moron, what do you think you're doing? No, she goes and humbles herself, takes the guilt of the sin upon herself. And then she requests pardon in verse 28. Wives, what is your posture toward your husband's sins? What if he has debts? What if he makes mistakes? Are those his debts, his mistakes, his fault, his problems? You notice Abigail's approach. We're one flesh. He dies, I die. We all die. I'll take this iniquity upon myself and I will beg for forgiveness. Are you willing to recognize and submit to God's providence and to the order of marriage that you are united to this man as one flesh? His problems, your problems. No need to nag. No need to point out the finger and say, aha, your fault, your problem. You did the evil, Nabal. No. Upon me, she says, be this iniquity. You cannot extricate yourself Will you or nil you with God's approval from a marriage? So you must learn to live with the circumstances that you have. What could Abigail have said? Imagine, put yourself in her shoes. Your husband is a churl. He's now been so wicked and evil with his words that every male is going to be destroyed in the household. Imagine you're a modern feministic woman. What would you do? Oh, glad to be rid of that guy. Can you get over here quick and kill them all so that I can be done with this guy? Is that what she does? That's the modern sense. Oh, I am too good for this relationship. She could have said that. Was she wise? Yes. Was he a fool? Yes. Was she kind? Was she pacif pacifying? Yes. Was he churlish and rude and mean? Yes. Were they married? Yes. So what's her duty? To look after her husband, to take care of him, even if he doesn't take care of himself. Is he a son of Belial? Well, she could have said, good riddance, come kill him. I'm leaving, I'm going to my parents' house. Put it up on Facebook. Nabal is a churl, he's gonna get killed. Is that what she did? No. She says, upon me, let this iniquity be. And then she begs pardon. Now she does, as a wise woman ought to, recognize the reality of her husband's character. Verse 25. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. 
For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Facts. All facts. Everything she says is true. Is he a man of worthlessness? Yes. Is his name Nabal? Yes. Is he as his name indicates? Yes. Is folly with him? Yes. Facts, 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 facts. Everything true. His character, his speech, his name, his conduct, they all agree. Peter Martyr comments on this, what would otherwise be an unlawful action for a wife. He says the following, So she therein showed her love unto Nabal, that making this excuse, in blemishing of his name to save his life, blemish his name, make it an excuse, an apology, why would he answer you so foolishly? Well, he's a fool. My husband is a fool. But she saves his life with this apology, with this defense, with these excuses. Verse 25, I thine handmaid saw not the young men of my Lord. Again, fact. She didn't see them. She didn't hear their words. She didn't consent to what her husband said. Her case in this matter was excused. David could more patiently bear with her since she did not have the knowledge of the servants and what they said. Now let us learn the art of apology. You'll hear me say, and I'll continue to say it, if you've wronged someone, you don't apologize. Because when you wrong someone, you don't defend yourself. But what she is engaged in is known as an apology. It's a defense of her position. It's a defense of her household. It's even a defense of her husband, and his folly is an excuse why David shouldn't take him seriously, why he shouldn't come with the force of arms to crush and destroy him. This is an apology, a lawful defense of our lives, our goods, our reputation by our words. That's what an apology is. And there are times and occasions in which God will call upon us to make a defense or an apology. This was such a time. Notice the wisdom of this woman's apology. First, shift your anger from my husband to me. Second, recognize that he is a fool and his words are foolish. Third, I wasn't there and didn't hear anything. And now she goes on. Fourth, verse 26, The Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. Now she will call this shedding blood causeless in verse 31 and avenging himself. So David, listen. The punishment you're going to mete out is not suited to the crime. It's causeless. You're shedding blood without a real cause. Second, God says, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. And you're saying, no, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. Is that right? Should you do that? So notice the wisdom. She brings in the truth of God to persuade his conscience to leave off his evil course. God in his providence has restrained you, withholding you from doing this evil thing. So therefore, out of gratitude to God who restrained you, don't execute your plan. 
Notice also another portion of her apology in verse 26. Now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. You know what this means. If you want somebody's enemies to be useless, let them be like Nabal. He's useless. Great swelling words. All bark, no bite. He's a paper tiger. Looks like he could destroy you, but can he? No, he's not going to do anything to you. Let all your enemies be just like Nabal. He's harmless. Not worth your time. Not worth the blot of sin and reproach that would lie upon your person and reputation and your kingdom were you to slay him. She then offers a gift in verse 27, the very thing her husband ought to have done, she does. And notice again the understanding of this woman. The Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. God is evidently blessing you, David. Your conduct is pure. Your victories are famous. Your kingdom is prophesied. And you have been hunted down by a man to pursue thee and take thy soul. Verse 29. Now this is Saul. She's talking about her king. She recognizes the status of her king. She does not name him out of respect for the office. But notice, does he have right to hunt David down? She knows, she, no, he doesn't have any right. He's risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but God will keep you bundled up like we put things in safes. Bundle them up, put them away. Nobody touches them because why? They're precious to us. They're valued by us. God will take your life, David, and he will make sure that it is valuable and precious in his sight. He's promised you life everlasting. He's promised that all your enemies shall perish as we take our precious goods and bind them up. And your enemies, David, is God going to bind them up as precious things? No, he's going to cast them away like refuse, like garbage slung out with a sling. She knows the promise of God. She knows the words of Samuel. She knows the victories of David, his character and conduct. She is a woman of understanding, as we saw earlier in the chapter. When the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel, verse 30. She's prudent perceptive, godly, recognizing that the word of God will be fulfilled, that the saints of God will be exalted, that the wicked will be thrown out, that God values his saints, and that God has made promises to David. But David, if you shed blood without cause, your conscience will trouble you. Verse 31, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart, unto my Lord. Your heart will strike you and say, guilty, David, you shouldn't have done that. You rose to the kingdom on the backs of innocent people. Don't do that, David. David then favorably responds to her request and the death of Nabal follows, verses 32 through 38. David is a man unlike this Nabal who can be persuaded. David, the great man, armed with 400 of his men to come to do slaughter and mayhem on his adversary who reproached him and his servants. 
Is he willing to listen? Yes. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. Do you have good friends? Do they give you good advice? Do you refrain from evil? To whom ought you to give thanks for these things? You notice what David does? Blessed be whom? Who's first on the list? The Lord. God, he sent you to meet me this day. You, a good friend with good advice, encouraging me to do what is good and to refrain from what is evil. That's God's doing. God is to be blessed. Blessed be thy advice. Now this word, very interesting, you remember when David changed his behavior and that word, he put spittle upon his beard and scrabbled on the door. He changed his taste. He changed his discernment. It's the same word. Blessed be thy taste. Blessed be thy discernment. You who know what is suited to each circumstance, blessed be thy taste, thy discernment in this case, thy advice. You walk in wisdom and holiness. You know what is suited to each occasion. Blessed be thy advice and blessed be thou which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. How did she do that? How did she keep him from coming to shed blood? Well, do you recall her apology, her defense of herself, of her conduct, the gift to pacify his rage, the remembrance of God's holy law and what is suited to what kind of offense? You're taking vengeance for yourself. Is that appropriate? If God sits on his throne, should you avenge yourself? No, you should not. These are wise words. Blessed be thou. She kept him by persuading him with lawful reasoning and apology. In exhortation, let us, rather than being such as encourage evil, be such as keep others from doing evil, such as avenging ourselves, destroying lives and property, or any other sin against God. How will you choose your friends? How will you choose, young people, your spouse? Let me give you a test. Do they encourage you to do what is good and lawful and right before God, or do they discourage you from doing what is lawful and good and right before God? If you marry a person who discourages you from doing what is good and lawful and right, you will be married and tied to hell. Do you want to go down there? Do you want to be shepherded down to destruction? Marry a fool. Do you want to go to everlasting glory? Tie and hitch yourself together with someone who is wise, as Abigail was wise. Someone who will discourage you from sinning against God and encourage you to do what is right and pleasing to the Lord. And let us all, whether husbands, wives, parents, children, or friends, let us learn, brothers and sisters, to encourage one another in what is good and discourage one another from what is evil. And let us learn the art of apology as she learned it, wise words to persuade according to the truth of God for the glory of God. And let us learn with David not to be a churl when we are persuaded with facts and reasons and truth, not to say, well, 
but I'm pretty much ready to kill this guy. Get out of my way. He could have said that. But rather he said what? Blessed be the Lord. This is truth what you're telling me. Bless God that truth has come and confronted me through this woman. Verse 34, David acknowledges that he was in a rage. Surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. Evil was determined, and without Abigail's wisdom, advice, her taste, her interposition, her gifts, her reasoning, Nabal would have been dead. Every male, toast, gone. Verse 35, I have hearkened to thy voice, and have accepted thy person. Your offering was accepted. Your prayer was heard. Your person received into favor. I will do as you ask. Do you see a gospel lesson here? Who is it that presents our petition to God? Who makes our defense? Who offers up the good things so that the wrath of the king is pacified? It is Jesus himself. There is a gospel lesson here. Would your person be acceptable to God? Would your voice be heard in his courts? Come to him then by Jesus Christ. But the fool is still at home, verse 36. With high pretensions, he has a feast of a king. Foolish, wasteful man. Remember what he said to David? I have all these goods. Work so hard, I'm, it's for my shearers. Did he not have extra? He's drunk. Like the feast of a king. You don't have any extra for men who helped you? Of course not, because he's covetous. Covetous men are often wasteful men. They are prodigal toward themselves and stingy toward everyone else. The feast of a king. Nabal is drunk. And his wife waits till the wine goes out of him, verse 37. The effects must wear off. He must sober up. And when she tells him what actually happened, David was coming. You had said this. He was ready to kill you. 400 men. I interposed. She told him the whole matter. What happened? His heart died within him. Perhaps he had a stroke, a heart attack. We don't know. But in some way, his heart ceased to function in its normal way. This is what happens when men are wicked and given to pleasures. They often kill themselves young. His heart died within him and he became as a stone, frightened by the danger he had exposed himself to, fear of what may have become of him. And then the Lord strikes him, verse 38, so that he died. God avenged the wrong done to David. He did not need to. David did not need to take vengeance for himself. David did not need to see himself as entitled to specific things and therefore a victim of the meany words that Nabal spoke. He didn't need to do any of that. God avenges the wrongs done to his servants. We do not need to take vengeance for ourselves. And yet, because we do not trust in God's providence, we think, well, if I don't settle the scores, the scores aren't going to be settled. Yes, they are. Vengeance is mine. I will what? Repay, God says. I'll pay everybody back. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. 
Vengeance is the Lord's. Verses 33, excuse me, 39 through 44, David then marries Abigail. David heard that Nabal was dead. He said, blessed be the Lord. Peter Martyr, David learned by this example, and so do we all, not to seek our own revenge, but to commend our cause unto God who judgeth uprightly. David sent, verse 39, and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. Now it's very important to understand he had already been abandoned by my call. We read that in the latter verses. She went and married someone else. What is that? Adultery. So David had a right to take a wife. He was, before God, clean in this particular matter. Her husband is dead. She is released from that marriage. His wife has committed adultery. He is free from that marriage. They are lawfully able to marry. Abigail humbly responds when sent for. Verse 41 tells us she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, now what did she not say? You know, I'm a woman of great understanding. You ought to really value me. I should be at the head of David's household and tell all you men what to do. Tell you how to do things just so. Because after all, I'm smart. I'm wise. I just saved your necks from going in and murdering people. I saved my husband. I saved my whole house. I'm smart. Is that what she said? No, that's right. She didn't say that. Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. I'm not here to run the show, she says. You servants of David, the young men that he sent, let me wash your feet. You who wash other people's feet, let me wash yours. Notice the abject humility of this woman. She is rich. She is understanding. She is beautiful in her countenance. Does any of that go to her head? No. She does not exalt herself. Though rich, though beautiful, yet she is pious and humble. And this is what attracts David to her. She is pious, godly, understanding, and humble. What more do you want in a wife? That's what he wanted. But notice the sad tale in verse 43. It says that David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they were also both of them his wives. We call this bigamy, bigamy, bi meaning two, gammy meaning marriage or being wedded to someone, bigamy, or the general term polygamy, which means you have more than one lawful wife at a time. This was a culturally acceptable sin, not according to the nature of God's creation. Do you remember what God did? The two, saith he, shall be what? The three, the five, the seven, the 32, 3,986. Is that what it says? The two, says he, shall become one flesh. One man, one woman, that's it. Nothing else. But he takes two. And we know from the rest of the books of Samuel that Amnon will spring of this wicked relationship. 
Ahinoam will give birth to Amnon, who will rape his sister, half-sister. There is chaos, disorder, and violence mixed in this brew. And thus far, the exposition of the second half of 1 Samuel chapter 25.